All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Good. For those that don't know who I am, I'm, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here and just uh, happy Family Day weekend, right? It's good to be here as a church family celebrating that together this weekend as well. Uh, for those that are joining us for the first time, we're continuing our sermon series in spiritual disciplines, also known as spiritual formations. And for those that don't know what that means, it's, it's a process that we learn and go through, but it's also a journey in which we open our hearts to a deeper connection with God. As with most relationships, it requires an active participation. And that is what we're hoping to walk out together. And there's a book called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in it, he writes this. He says, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It remains an abstract idea, a myth, which has a place for the fatherhood of God, but omits Christ as a living son. There is trust in God, but no following of Christ. In other words, he's saying, if you want the life of Jesus, then you have to take on the lifestyle of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Andrew spoke on the discipline of submission. And he laid out different areas of submission. But the posture of submission, submission leads us to a life that ultimately looks different. And it leads us to a place that we have to behave differently. Submission is not a loss of who we are, a loss of ourselves, but it is gaining Jesus. To submit is not... To submit is not, again, a loss of ourselves. Sometimes we look at submission and we're just like, if we submit, then who am I? Right? If we submit, then what essence of myself do I have? But that's not what submission is about. Submission is actually coming before the Father and saying, I know what you've done. I don't lose myself. I don't lose who I am because ultimately God created you. Right? Right? But what happens when you submit is you come into a wholeness of who you are. You come into a place where you're walking alongside your creator and now there is a hand-in-hand walking. You know when God created Adam and Eve that God walked with them, right? That God's presence was there. God's, God's, his, his whole being was with Adam and Eve. And for us to submit is reconciling those things back together. It's coming back into a place. So submission isn't something that we lose, but it's something that we gain. Jesus ultimately gave us the ultimate act of submission, which is on the cross. He taught us this is what submission is, that even to the cross, he submits to the Father. Andrew also spoke on how Jesus showed us how to submit to God the Father, but also a posture of how we are to submit to each other. In John 13, Andrew brought this illustration where Jesus and his disciples, they're what, celebrating the Passover, right? And at the Passover dinner, they're, they're, they're all seated and Jesus gets up from his, his chair and he goes and he washes his disciples' feet. This act is normally for the lowest ranked person in the room, the servants, okay? And if there was no servant present, normally it would be one of Jesus' disciples that actually does it. It's not Jesus himself, because Jesus holds the position of rabbi. He holds the position of teacher. 
And so he's not the one to wash his disciples' feet, but what Jesus does is he gets up and he goes and he does this act, which is the act of servanthood. You see how submission and servanthood is tied together now? That we have to be able to submit ourselves, and submission brings us to this place where, as Andrew said, it gives us all equality. It brings us to the same place, and he doesn't, he doesn't see himself as, I am greater than who you are, but that I am able to still serve you. And Jesus goes and he washes his disciples' feet, but this is what he says. He says, in John 13, he says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who, what, what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet, as I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. What does Jesus says? I have set you a what? An example. Jesus says, do as I do. Okay? Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. He is, he is in the Jewish tradition. He's seen as someone that is, is, is high up there, right? He is seen as someone that teaches. He's seen as someone that, that, that is respected. It's like seeing a celebrity walk through and everybody goes and serves them. You know what I mean? But Jesus says, no, my posture is that I am here to serve you. I am here to do this for you. In Matthew 20, 28, it says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The discipline of service is demonstrated by, to us by Jesus. The discipline of service is a lifestyle. It is a way of living and it exemplifies who Jesus is and the heart of the father. But before we get any deeper, let's commit this time to the Lord and let's pray. So Father God, we come before humbled and aware of who we are. We ask that today our focus is on Jesus and what he has done as an example for who we are and what we are to do. Lord, it is our privilege to be here today to worship. So we ask for your spirit to move us as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're talking about the discipline of service. So what is the discipline of service? Is it our areas that we serve in the church? I mean, we've done a lot of call-outs today. We want the hospitality team, track team. Uh, there's a lot of areas in the, the church to serve. Is that what service is? Is service volunteering in our church? Or is it beyond that? Is it volunteering in our community? Or if we take it another step further, is service activism? Is it speaking up for social justice issues? Is it taking a stand and, and to be an activist in areas that, that, that need a voice? Is that service? What is service? Is service going on summer missions trip? Is it filling up shoeboxes at Christmas time? Or is it even clothing and feeding the poor? Now, I don't want you guys to feel today that you guys need to do more, okay? I don't want to guilt trip you guys into a place of, I need to get busier in my busy schedule, okay? 
I don't want you guys to see service as things or a list of things that we need to do. But what I want to present to you is that service is a lifestyle that we live and not a list of to-dos that we need to come to. My goal here isn't to get you guys to serve in the areas of church, but my goal here is to get you guys into a place of what is the lifestyle of serving. When we look at serving here in the church, in our communities, where, where places that we volunteer, all of those things is an expression of the practice of service, and it is not the heart of service. As we have said throughout this series, that none of the disciplines that we are going through are exclusive or standalone, but it all comes together. Service begins with submission. It is first knowing that there is a freedom in submission, and that freedom comes from the ability to lay down the terrible burdens of always needing to get our own way. Okay? Does that make sense? That when we submit, it's submitting to, it's ultimately submitting ourselves. The demands of the things that we want things to go our own way is actually one of humanity's greatest greatest uh, bondages that we have. When we understand that submitting isn't actually about giving up ourselves, but to let go of what we hold on to, then we're actually then able to hold on to the person of Jesus, and that's where we're going to find freedom in submission. But when we find the person of Jesus, another thing that we actually find is humility. Service needs to be born out of humility And in Philippians 2, it says, Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambitions or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. To serve is to not look at your own interests, but the interests of others is what Paul's saying. Without humility, your service is self-serving. It is for others to see what you're doing, and it's that look-at-me sacrifice. The self-serving Service never serves others. They are always looking at the needs of who they are serving. They're not looking at the needs of who they're serving, but they're looking more for the accolades that they personally will receive while they are serving. It's about themselves and the praises that they will receive and not about who they are serving, but the external rewards. Have you guys ever been served by people like that? Where it's like, I'm coming to help you, but really they don't, they're not actually meeting your needs. They're meeting their own needs and how they could serve you, but they're not actually serving you in any way. Sure, they, they help out in doing something, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit the heart. It doesn't touch who we are. And all they want to do in, in that serving is that they want the applause of men. They want the, 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 the recognition of people saying, oh, I've served. It's like those, okay, I don't want to get too controversial here, so I'm just going to put a disclaimer on that, but it's like those missionaries that go to third world countries, and they go dig a well, and they, all they do is pose for the well. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll, they'll build the well, the well is done, and, and all they do is take a picture, they, they go, cheese, and then... Never do they think about the village that they help. Never do they think about the, the, the people that they are digging this well for or even the purpose of the well. 
or even if the people actually need a well, you know? Sometimes we think, oh, we're going to dig a well because they don't have water, but the reality is that lifestyle doesn't need a well. That's helping and fulfilling a need that is not actually needed and that's actually serving in a place that is self-serving. You're not serving the people, you're serving yourself. And that's not the type of service that God is calling us to do. And so often, especially in North American culture, I would say especially in North American culture, we get to that place of, I'm going to go do something great. I'm going to go in and, and seek out something that I could, that I could put my, 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 my name to. But it's never really about helping others. It's always about, how do I boost myself up? You know, in high school, everybody's trying to get their portfolios together, right? And you're trying to get into the best universities, the best schools, all of that kind of stuff. And, and part of doing that, you need to volunteer. So you volunteer in those places where you're just like, okay, what's going to give me the best recognition? Right? You guys know that? Like, that's where your scholarships come from. Like, like you do it so that you could get money. Right? That's where all the scholarships come. Is the more you volunteer out there, the more you're out there in the community uh, doing those things, the, the better your portfolio is. But the second you get into that school, do you ever think about the, the places that you volunteer? I used to work for an organization called Urban Promise here in Vancouver. I had tons of volunteers. Tons of volunteers that came through, and Urban Promise was, is a pretty big organization. And it's well known, and uh, so we get volunteers from all over the world, literally all over the world. Uh, we have interns coming in from, from, from Europe, from Asia, from, uh, even from Africa. And they'll come and they'll volunteer. But you always know which are the volunteers that are there because they want to serve they want to volunteer. They want to make a difference. They want to uh, create an impact. They want to um, walk out in, in obedience what God has called them to. And you always know the volunteers that are just there for the hours. You, all, you always know. Because the volunteers that are there for the hours, they don't care. You know that they don't. They're there just for... They're, 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 they're there. They sit. They... They do the menial tasks that they need to do, and they don't ever go above and beyond. They don't ever do what I'm going to call the hidden service. What is this hidden service? The hidden service is when nobody knows that you've done something. That you have served somebody without getting the attention. Sometimes you will get attention, and that's not a bad thing. I don't want you to feel like getting attention for service is bad. But it's how do you redirect that attention, right? Does that attention come to you, or do you, does that attention go back to who God is? What hidden service is, it's humility. It's humility when we serve, where we serve where the needs are. And we serve, as we are serving, we actually grow in our humility. When we serve others, we are developing qualities such as compassion, empathy, selflessness, and obedience. 
but we are also developing perseverance and resilience. When we serve others, we are forced to put ourselves in their shoe to see the world from their perspective. This helps us develop a deeper understanding of others and to empathize with their struggles. As we develop compassion and empathy, we become more like Christ in our attitudes and in our action. As we grow in being more like Christ, submission and obedience also becomes easier. When I was in my seminary studies in Chicago, oftentimes we were put in situations where it's a little risky. We were living in in neighborhoods that were under-resourced and predominantly not your own race. Uh, Predominantly, you you stand out. And oftentimes, as I was living in these communities and I was doing my studies, we were living... My program was urban ministries, and so we were living in the urban areas of, of, of Chicago. I was living in a community called Austin. It's uh, on the west side of Chicago. 99% black, 2% others, and like, it can't be 2%. My math is wrong. <laughs> and it's like 0.2% others. But needless to say, there were not a lot of Asians in that, in that community. I know I've told some of the, some of the different stories that, that happened in Chicago with me. I've got ju- I, I got jumped there once, and I spent about three weeks in the hospital. Uh, I've been it was, it was it was a lot of fun, even getting jumped because I've learned so much about the people that I need to serve. But there was this one incident that I will never forget because it was serving in the most menial task. Something that I didn't want to do. It was just like, oh, anybody could do this. Right? And that menial task was helping my neighbor do their laundry. I hate to do laundry for myself, okay? This is just something that I hate to do. I'll put it in the wash. I'll put it in the dryer. Ask my wife. It'll stay in the dryer for days. (laughs) Because I hate folding clothes. I hate it. If you look at my dresser, I just stuff the clothes in. I don't even fold them. I'm just like, is it wrinkly? So sometimes if you see me wrinkly, you'll know why. <laughs> but it was this menial task of helping my neighbor do their laundry. And why did, it was this, this thing that God was like, John, I need you to help them. Just do this one thing. I was like, it's such a little thing. I mean, we lived in an apartment building where it was a communal Laundry, washer, dryer, stick of coins in. Uh, that's, that was our building. And our neighbor, is, it's not like he, he was unable to do his laundry. He was a, a healthy man, uh, older than me. He was in his 30s. I was in my 20s at the time. But I was like, why do I need to help him do his laundry? But God's like, I need you to do this. And so I would go. I mean, he's a big guy too, so I was a little intimidated by him. I went and I knocked on his door and was like, hey, this is kind of weird. I don't even know how to tell you how to, the, 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 I'm going to help you do this. But I feel like God is telling me to help you do your laundry. And he looked at me and he's just like, what? <laughs> like, big black guy looking at me. I was like, just, God is telling me to help you do your laundry. And he's like, 
that's a weird request. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, if you aren't comfortable with it, that's okay. Because I was just, I'm, I'm looking for an out, right? I'm just looking for an out. My guys just like, kept, kept coming at me, you need to do this. And so he's like, okay. So he's like, I'll be right back. So he goes back, he comes back, he has a basket of laundry, he's like, here. So I'm like, okay. So I go, I take it downstairs, I put the laundry in the wash, wait for its time, put it in the dryer. I even go and fold his laundry for him, put it back in the basket, and I give it back to him. That was it. Next week, same prompting. Go help him do his laundry. I don't want to do his laundry. I hate doing laundry. It's such a menial thing. This is such a useless thing. Go. Knock on his door. God told me to do your laundry again. He's like, okay, weird, but okay. Goes get his laundry, gives me his, his basket. I go do his laundry again. Third week, again. I'm like, okay, God, there better be something miraculous about this thing. Okay? I did his laundry for one year, every single week. One year. No clue why. Don't know, don't know why I'm supposed to help him do his laundry. I have to say his laundry started getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> it would start off with a little basket and it just became like loads. Yeah, it became bed sheets and all this other stuff. I also hate folding fitted sheets. It's like fitted sheets, one of the things that you just like put together and throw in a closet, right? No idea why I had to do his laundry for one year. I was in, I was in this program for two years, so I was his neighbor for that, that, that time period. And so one year's passed, I've done his laundry every single week. That means I have also paid for his laundry every single week, right? So, I mean, you pay for his laundry. To us, it's not a lot, right? It's only about like $2, $2 and some change every, every time you do one load. But after one year, he finally stopped me. He's just like, why are you doing this for me? I said, I don't know. But I'm just walking in obedience of what God is calling me to do. And he's like, God is calling you to do? I said, yes. And he's like, this God that you talk of, is it the one that goes to church? I was like, yes. That would be the one. And he's just like, I don't like that God. That God took away my family. That God took away my parents. That God took away my kids. That God has done nothing good for me. I'm a 23-year-old seminary student. I had no idea what to say to him. But what happened was I started to empathize for him. And I said, 
I'm so sorry that that is your experience with the church. And that statement alone broke down the barrier. And the one year of laundry service. <laughs> but it broke down a barrier that I believe that nobody else would have been able to, to, to enter into. It broke down something where he's like this young punk, this young Chinese, Jackie Chan. <laughs> In a black neighborhood, you get called Jackie Chan quite a bit. <laughs> this young Jackie Chan looking like kid did my laundry for one full year. I need to know this God more. I don't understand the God of the church, but whatever this young man is doing, I want that. I want a God that serves me in a place where it sees the little things. I started building a relationship with him. He invited me to go into his house, which, is, which was very intimidating, um, into his apartment. I went in, dark, musty, just not the, not, not the cleanest place. But then I looked and I understood why God wanted me to do his laundry, because he needed help. He needed help just to clean this one thing so that he's able to be presentable to the world. And if I was able to do that for him by spending a, just over $2 every single week, I was willing to do that. But these little things actually take long-term commitment, right? These services nobody gets to ever see. These services are, are things that you do because you submit to somebody that is greater than you, that knows something about this world and the people that are around you. And when you're able to submit to this person called Jesus, he's able to tell you, these are the places I want you to serve. It's the little things, guys. These are the hidden services that we need to do. When we do these things, like I said, it develops understanding of others. It helps us empathize with their struggle. As we develop those compassion and empathy, we become more like Christ. Service helps us develop selflessness. When we serve others, we are putting their needs before our own, and we are sacrificing our time and our resources for their benefit. This can be a humbling experience, but it also helps us become less self-centered and more focused on the needs of others. When we're able to focus on the needs of others, we connect with them on a deeper level, and we are demonstrating our care and concern for them. This allows us to build relationship, and Jesus is all about relationships. This is especially true when we serve in our local communities and we become a part of the fabric of our community and our service helps to strengthen the bonds between us. In Galatians 6.2, it says, Paul says, carry each other's burden and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When we serve others, we are helping 
to carry their burdens. We are lifting them up and helping them through difficult times. This builds trust and deepens relationship with the people we are serving. One of the things we need to dismantle in our heads is that serving is not a list of things that we need to do, but that when we are serving, we discover the things to do. Serving isn't just about the big things, but it is in the small things. It is helping with the errands. It is meeting the needs, just like Dorcas met the needs of the widows by making garments for them. It is doing the things that nobody asked you to do, but everybody knows it needs to be done. It is doing, it, is doing it and not allowing others to see it uh, to, and to be in it without people knowing that you did it. When we serve others, we are, ultimately we are serving God. We are demonstrating our love and our devotions to him by doing his work on earth. In Colossians 3, 23 to 24, Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Service comes to a place where we worship who God is. It is knowing that what Jesus has done, it is knowing what you have received, and it is knowing who you are and why you submit. When you worship, the outflow of that becomes service. Service allows us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to show his love and his compassion to others in need. It is the opportunity for us to share the gospel and point others to to Christ. In Matthew 25, it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Truly, verse 40, I tell you, whatever you did for that one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Here's the thing, people. Look at the people that you're serving. One of the things that happens when you start serving the way that Jesus served is that service will always lead you to the poor. Always. Service will always lead you to the poor. It will always lead you to those that are in need. It will always be for those that do not know him. And it will always be serving alongside justice. In serving others, we are serving Jesus himself. And when we worship, it births service. And when we serve, we are worshiping. As I was writing this sermon, there's this song that got stuck in my head. And it's, a, it's an old hymn. It's actually a, a song that I remember learning when I was really young. It, it's called we are, we are One in the Spirit. You guys know that song? He goes, we are one in the spirit, we are one in the Lord. But the chorus says this, and they'll know that we are Christians by our love. The second verse says, we will work with each other, we will work side by side, and we'll guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together we will spread the news that God is in this land. 
these verses just continue to ring in my head. And if you don't know where the reference of this, this is a, it was composed by a, a German man by the name of Peter Schulte. It comes from John 13, 35. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, want, if you love one another. In this song, when it says that we will work with each other, we will walk with each other, this is service. This is the discipline of service. The aspect of working together and walking together is the attitude of worship. I love this line, this line that says, we will guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. That when you serve others, you need to lift that person up to give them the dignity that they deserve. Oftentimes I see the church come to a place where they, they don't keep the dignity of each other and they shame people into a place of if you do it this way, you will end up in this place. And that's not what the church is about. They will know that we are Christians by what? Our love. And I cannot stress this enough. That every single one of us that walk with the Lord, that we need to be able to express the love of the Father. And that our service needs to come out of the place of God's love. And that if you are not able to love them, then you're not able to serve them. I don't want you guys to go out there slamming the Bible down people's throats if you're not motivated by love. If you cannot meet the people where they're at and you cannot give them the dignity that they have, please do not serve in that place. Ask somebody else to come and do it with you. The world needs to know the love of God before they know the justice of God. The world needs to know that God loves them and that God cares for them and that God sees them in the place that they're at. And when God sees them in that place, they are able to receive God for who he is. And when they receive God for who he is, then transformation begins. Do not slam transformation into people before you slam the love of God into them. Okay? So church, as we move in this discipline of service, this is what I need. This is the underlying thing that needs to compel you is the love of Jesus Christ and that they will know that you are his follower because you love them. Amen? Amen. Service is, is the expression of the church of Christ to love the world. This is a lifelong journey that requires us to open ourselves up to what God is calling you to do. Not just the big things, but the little things that fulfill a need. It requires us to step outside of what we are used to and our comforts and exercise compassion, empathy, selflessness, and perseverance. 
Service is to be more like Christ in our attitudes and in our actions. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. And as we come before you, we ask for your presence to be upon us. Lord, as we listen to the way that you served others and the, the promptings that you have, that we are to submit and obey before we serve, and that we are to love before we serve. Lord, we just ask for you to, 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 to fill us with your spirit, fill us with your love so that we are able to be your disciples. Lord, let us, let this church be a representation of who you are so that the world may know. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just touched by the fact that we really need to show love to our world, a world that's, that's, that's just lost, a world that's just lost without love. We hear so much about all the fighting that's going on in our, in our world, all the, all the atrocities that are happening. Church, if we are an army that can go out and love others, it will make such a big difference. So today I just ask that you really take the challenge to to love this world as God has loved us. Let us love this world. Let us serve. Let us be a people that that really show the servant heart of our God. Father, I pray that, that you would show us Show us the way to really submit our lives so that we, when we, when we see that you do really love us, that you have given your son for us, you have loved us with an everlasting love, and that you want us to walk with you, want us to be in submission to you. And we see it so clearly when you, Jesus, you, you wash your disciples' feet the lowest of lowest task, you did it. And it's to show us an example of what it means to love the world, to serve the world. So God, give us the, uh, that, that heart, change our hearts, help us mostly, to, first of all, Jesus, would you transform our hearts so that from our hearts we would give of yourself to others transform our hearts change our hearts so that we would we would not, not live a life that's that's just me first but you help us to be captured by your, your love god you are so good to us so help us now to do good to others help us to really serve God, when we have, when we have the, um, when our hearts are not yet broken, help us to really think through what is at stake here. What is at stake here? That is it my pride? Is it my my own sense of dignity? Help us to really ask the question: What is at stake here? Isn't it about your love? Isn't it about you loving us, help us, God, to be transformed. So Jesus, be with us as we think through this message this morning. Help us to really be, be really broken 
to be able to be a people who would empathize with others and to serve others from a heart that's been transformed, from a heart that knows you. So Jesus, dismiss your people with your peace. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.